Well, we'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. And the Lord is on our side. Another one. Behavioral inconsistencies. Oh, that was already on there. Follow your opponent's argument to its conclusion. Didn't know I had that in the slide. Behavioral inconsistencies behavioral inconsistencies, which is to say, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Oftentimes, a person will affirm one thing with their mouth and then go and do something completely different or in contradiction to that. It is irrational and inconsistent to believe one thing and live opposite of that belief, which is funny, by the way. Unbelievers do this by nature, but one of the first things they have to say about the church is what? They're a bunch of hypocrites. And as we'll look at, the unbelieving worldview, whichever worldview they may embrace, does the same thing, but worse. The difference between us and them is we can say, yeah, we're hypocrites and we've got a Savior that covers that sin. You are just a hypocrite. You're, exactly, you're just upset. An unbeliever will argue that man is just another product of evolution. This is an example of this. He's just another product of evolution, just like any other animal or dog or cockroach. But then that man will demonstrate that there's more to humanity by loving his wife, by attending the funeral of a loved one or a friend, by opposing torture and murder and rape. But if man is nothing more than a dog, if man is nothing more than an animal, if he's nothing more than a bag of protoplasm, who cares what happens to him? There's no dignity, there's no value to him, so why do you love your spouse? Why do you attend the funeral of somebody that you were close to? Why do you say it's wrong to torture someone? Actions speak louder than words. The way that they live, the things they do with their life, they will say to you that there is no value to human life. And then when their child runs up to them, they'll pick them up and they'll hug them with love and care. Why? It's just another bag of protoplasm in your worldview. Now, we know you're made in the image of God. That's why you love these people. But you're denying that, so why do you love them then? Another one, presuppositional... Oh, hang on a minute. We got slides. Those are all the things I just said to you. <laughs> Presuppositional conflict. Presuppositional conflict. People often unwittingly presuppose conflicting ideas. People often unwittingly presuppose conflicting ideas. I think I have that one on there. Yep. For example, Christians are often ridiculed for holding to certain things by faith. By faith which is not entirely the case, but that's what we're ridiculed for. We are told that you cannot empirically prove something. Now, the word empirical, real quick, just means that you cannot show something by observation or tangibly. Okay, that's what empirical means. We are told that if you cannot empirically prove something, then it's false. Holding to things by faith is stupid. You have to be able to demonstrate, we have to be able to observe that something is true. Well, the question, the, the presuppositional conflict here is, did you empirically prove that to yourself? You understand what I'm saying? So, if you're saying to me, you have to, let's, let's narrow the illustration down. If you're saying to me, the only way to prove something is for it to be physically present right here in front of me. I need to be able to touch it, smell it, see it, put my hands on it. I, it's right there. That's the only way that you can prove something is true to me. And the question I then have is, did you learn that the standard for truth is you know, something physical by doing something physical? You understand what I'm asking? Prove, okay, change it up a little bit. 
We'll often hear the scientific method is the only way to prove anything. Has the scientific method been tested by the scientific method? Well, no, it can't be. Then how do you know it's the only way to prove anything? Your own statement falls apart. Now, that's not to deny the scientific method. We're Christians. We understand why the scientific method works, because God has created the world to work in that way. But if you're saying your standard is this, but your own standard has not been determined by that, then what's your standard, actually? If you're not following this, please tell me, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll happily sit here and work through it all night. I don't mind. That's why, as Christians, we say, this is my standard. Well, what determines your standard? My standard. This. I'm not going to appeal to something outside of this. This is, this is the final standard for me. If I appeal to something outside of this, then what's my standard now? If I say the Bible's my authority, and you say to me, well, prove to me the Bible's your authority, and I go and appeal to what my pastor says about the Bible, who's the authority, this or the pastor? The pastor now is, which means this wasn't my authority to begin with. That's the same question we're asking the unbeliever about what they believe. An illustration of this, I was debating with a gentleman once who was arguing that abortion is a positive good. This is an illustration of presuppositional conflict. Who was arguing that abortion is a positive good to prevent overpopulation of the world. So we should abort babies so the world doesn't get too full. Well, I said, okay, so what is, uh, what's wrong with the world being overpopulated? And he said, well, the world can't sustain it. People will start to die off. And I said, is it bad that people die off? He said, absolutely. I said, so let me get this straight. We should kill people because it's bad that people die. That's a presuppositional conflict. You're, sa you're saying that people are valuable and they shouldn't die. Therefore, we should kill these people so that people don't die. Now, the sad thing is I said this, and he was like, I don't understand what you're saying. I was like, no, I think you do. It's kind of like when the Pharisees would ask Jesus questions, and he would answer, then ask them a question, and they would get together and say, we don't know. <laughs> After, in the private conversation, saying, if we say this, he's going to say that. We don't know. That's what happened. That is the example, an example of a presuppositional conflict. Next, you want to ask the question, thirdly, what are the preconditions? What are the, when the person is articulating their worldview to you, when they're arguing their point, when they're speaking to you, period, in your mind you have a chess match going on, and these are the questions you're asking. And the last one of them is, what are the preconditions of what this person is saying? What are they assuming? What has to be true in order for what they say to be true? Okay? What are the preconditions? If I were to say to you that the Gettysburg Address was delivered through the CNN network, you would say to me, that's insane. Why? Because the preconditions, television networks, did not exist at the time the Gettysburg Address was delivered. That's a precondition that must be met for the statement itself to be true. So, you want to look for what are the preconditions. What sort of things would have to be true in order for this statement to also be true? And when unbelievers present to you, there are always, there's always at least one of three things that the unbeliever will assume. There's sometimes all three of them. Okay, I'm about to tell you what they are. There's sometimes all three of them, but they always will assume one of three things no matter what. It's not possible to communicate without these three things. First one. They will assume the laws of logic. They will assume that there are laws to thought. Okay? They will assume that there are laws to thought. They will assume that contradictions are a problem, that a contradiction can't be true. Okay? Everybody know what a contradiction is real quick. Okay? They will assume that that is true. And that's the easiest one to go with, by the way, the law of non-contradiction. Um, 
when you're talking to an unbeliever, they're going to say that laws of logic cannot be accounted for, though, apart from the triune God of Scripture. In meaningless, purposeless, chance universes where matter is all that exists, then the laws of logic, the laws of thought, don't exist. Why? Because they're not material. They're not there. If all that exists is what has evolved to exist, logic didn't evolve to exist. In fact, it doesn't exist in the true sense at all. So why do they believe it exists at all? They're assuming it's there. They're assuming that you believe in logic. They're assuming that you can be rational, but their worldview doesn't give them any kind of standard to believe that, lo that, that logic exists at all. You understand what I'm saying? The very fact that the unbeliever is willing to engage with you at all means that he assumes the laws of logic. He assumes there is the ability to reason and have conversation in regards to them. It means he is attempting to think, to rationally develop an argument, and to demonstrate the faults in your beliefs and the superiority of his belief. But in a world without God, two people, listen to this, in a world without God, okay, we are nothing more than evolved apes, from fish to philosophers, were nothing more than, than, as I said earlier, bags of protoplasm, were nothing more than chemical compounds. If that's all we are, then in the world where two people would have a conversation over what's right and wrong, is similar to me taking a bottle of Coke and a bottle of Pepsi, shaking them up and setting them on this table to watch them debate. And that's what it is if there is no God. There are no laws of thought without the God who provides those laws of thought. You understand what I'm saying here? It is necessary. You want to look for the uniformity of nature. Uniformity of nature, or another phrase, induction. Uniformity of nature. You want to listen for them to assume that nature operates in a uniform, law-like, consistent fashion. Okay? You, and what, here, here's an example. What is the uniformity of nature? If I take my hand... I slap this bottle, it's going to fly across the room. The laws of uh, the uniformity of nature tells me that if I put the bottle back and do it again, it's going to happen again. And if I do it again, it's going to happen again. That's what the laws of uniformity are. Nature is uniform. It will continue in the same way. We can expect the sun to rise tomorrow because the, uh, nature is uniform in that way. God created it that way. We can account for that. The uniformity of nature is the belief that the future will always be like the past. What we observe, we know will be true because we've seen it happen. That's the uniformity of nature. If X is the cause of Y, then whenever X is present, Y will likely occur. You following that? Y will likely occur as well. What we observe in the past will be present in the future. What is the obvious assumed position here? What's the obvious assumption they're making? The obvious assumption is that the future will be like the past. The unbeliever is assuming that if I go outside and uh, put the key in my vehicle and turn it, it's going to create the combustion necessary for the engine to start. No matter how many times I do it, they assume that that will happen. The, the laws of science have been formed in such a way that they can trust that this will happen on repeat. They assume the sun will rise tomorrow. Why? Because the sun came up yesterday. Okay? You and I, though, we know the sun's going to come up tomorrow because it came up today. Why? Because God has created it to do that. If you're not a believer, though, if God's out of the equation, how do you know the sun rises tomorrow? Let's look at this a little further for a second. The uniformity of nature cannot be accounted for apart from the triune God of Scripture. I want to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here. Every day you wake up, and hopefully, 
hopefully you brush your teeth. <laughs> hopefully. You squeeze the toothpaste tube and what happens every time without fail? Toothpaste comes out. You pick up the toothpaste, you squeeze that tube, unless the tube is empty, or you forgot to take the little silver tab off the end, toothpaste comes out every single time. You expect it to do that. You know tomorrow morning when you go to do that, it will happen again. But how does the unbeliever expect that? You as a Christian know that whatever has happened in the past will happen again in the future. You know that God holds all things together in a law-like fashion. You know that the only time anything happens outside of the ordinary in God's world is if God himself chooses it to be that way. You expect nature to be uniform, and you can account for nature being uniform. If I were to ask you how you know the sun comes up tomorrow, you can account for that. You can say, because God created the world to do this. Okay, But how does the unbeliever account for that? How does the unbeliever account for his toothpaste bottle? If you take the God that holds all things out of the question, then how can he account for the uniformity of nature? How does he know that tomorrow morning when he squeezes the tube, toothpaste will come out and not Cheez-Its? <laughs> of course, when you pose that question, when you pose that question, how do you know that? He's going to do what? He's going to say, I know when I squeeze my toothpaste that more is going to come out because that's what always, that's what always happens. The uniformity, he's going to appeal to the uniformity of nature. He's going to say, the past has always occurred this way, therefore I know the future will always occur this way. He's going to say, I know the toothpaste will come out of the tube because it's done that every morning for as long as I can remember. But that doesn't answer the question. I asked him, how did he know it? That doesn't answer the question. So follow me here. Okay? Don't just memorize the argument. Understand what I'm asking the unbeliever in this case, or what I'm pointing out about the unbeliever. When he says, I know that this will happen because it always does happen, what's he appealing to? He's appealing to his experience of the past. He's saying to you, I know this will happen over here because if this is a timeline, this is the middle right here, okay, barrier, unseparable. On this side, I've experienced all these things. And because my experience tells me this, I know what the future will hold. Well, there's a problem though. Have you experienced the future? No, because it would be the past. So you can't appeal to your experience of the past to tell me what the future is because you haven't experienced that. You see what I just did there? You following that? If you're not following that, please tell me. It's important that we work this out. They're saying, I know what has happened before because I've experienced it, so therefore I know what will happen tomorrow. And I'm saying to you, you haven't experienced tomorrow, so how do you know tomorrow will be? You don't. You can't appeal to experience to answer that question. We have to have a Christian worldview to explain that. We have to have the triune God who created all things and holds all things together to explain why tomorrow we know the sun will come up like it has before. The unbeliever doesn't have that. They can't appeal to past experience because past experience doesn't tell us about the future. It just tells us about what you've experienced in the past. So other than that, how do they know that the future will continue this way? They don't. They don't. But here's the catch, though, and it goes farther than just toothpaste. You can apply it to a whole other world. Everything they argue assumes that. All of science. Okay, how many of you have been told that Christianity is false because science has disproven it? All of science assumes that the future will be like the past, but yet they have absolutely no basis in their worldview to believe that the future will be like the past. 
have no, no reason to believe that at all. See, what we do in apologetics, I remember I told you last time we met that apologetics is about destroying the foundation the person is standing on, the sand foundation that Jesus talked about. What we're doing in apologetics is we're asking the, the unbeliever who assumes these things to be true to account for them. Because we can account for them. We can explain why there's laws of thought and logic. We can explain why the future will be like the past because God holds it together. The unbeliever can't do it. And here's the catch, though. Over and over and over and over again, they're going to use these things as if they own them, as if it's part of their worldview. But it, it's not. It's not part of their worldview. They have to borrow from the Christian worldview. They have to borrow capital from us to be able to argue against us. You guys follow what I'm saying here? They have to borrow from us. Unbelievers will say that miracles are not possible because the world operates in a uniform and law-like fashion. But without a sovereign God, this is, this is always a funny argument to me, miracles are impossible because they violate the laws of nature. But without God, you don't have laws of nature. You don't have that. So they could very well happen in that case then because you don't have a reason to not believe they wouldn't happen. We can say that no miracles happen because the God of the universe intervenes with his creation and does things from time to time that we can't account for. The next one, they're going to assume laws of logic, they're going to assume uniformity of nature, and they will assume morality. This is possibly the most common one that we deal with, only because everyone talks about it and touches on it. And truthfully, truthfully, the other two, laws of logic and uniformity of nature, while I believe, according to the nods I got, that you guys follow that, most people are not comfortable enough with their understanding of those two topics to really wield that sword in battle. This, the topic of morality, though, is much easier to grab onto. That's why most Christians gravitate towards using these arguments or, or approaching it from these arguments. Again, morality cannot be accounted for apart from the triune God of Scripture. This is probably the most common precondition that you will come across. Remember, these are preconditions to watch out for. Unbelievers will say that something is happening and it's wrong. It's morally wrong for this to happen. And your job is to ask them why. Now, heads up real quick, You're gonna, it's, the world we live in is so irrational, okay? When someone says to me, and this, I've had these conversations before, uh, I will engage with someone that will say, let's take an example, they will say that rape is wrong. And I'll pop in with the question, doing the Christian apologetic side of it, well, why is rape wrong? The first thing they're going to say is, he supports rape. I'm like, no, I didn't. Learn to read and think. No. I'm asking you in your worldview why it's wrong. I'm asking you in the worldview that doesn't have a God who tells us that this is wicked and doesn't reflect His character, why it's wrong to you. I'm asking you to account for what you're saying. And they're not able to. They're not able to. Unless Christianity is true, we can't make sense of anything, and that includes morality. So here's the truth, guys. If God didn't create man in His image, let's follow their argument, if God didn't create man in His image, and if God did not lay down His law telling us what His character is like, what His nature is like, if God didn't tell us how to live according to His likeness, then it's not wrong to torture someone. It's not wrong to grab someone off the street and chop their fingers off. Why? What's right and wrong? There is no right and wrong. It's a meaningless, purposeless universe, and the universe just doesn't give a crap. Now, it's funny, 
because you'll hear unbelievers go on these puritanical rants about how horrible some things are in this world. And they have absolutely no reason to say that anything is wrong or horrible because they don't have a holy God that is the standard for what is right and wrong. You following me? I have a quote, big surprise, Dr. Van Til. I know you're all shocked. The ultimate source of truth in any field rests in Him, that's Christ. The world may discover much truth without owning Christ as truth, meaning they may learn a number of things without actually knowing Christ. Christ upholds even those who ignore, deny, and oppose Him. So real quick, an unbeliever can learn all sorts of things about the world without actually knowing Christ, and that's only because Christ allows them to. That's only because He's given them the tools to think and learn and understand. A little child may slap his father in the face, but it can do so only because the father holds it on his knee. That's the picture we should have of an unbeliever in God. So modern science, modern philosophy, and modern theology may discover much truth. Nevertheless, if the universe were not created and redeemed by Christ, no man could give himself an intelligible account of anything. So here's what that means. If Christ didn't create us, if Christ didn't give us the mind that is made in the likeness of God, if we were not created in the image of God to be able to think, reason, and understand then guess what? We couldn't even understand reality enough to say that reality itself exists. You follow that? Everything goes away without the foundation that is God's Word and God's person. All of it falls away. So, well, we'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's Oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's Oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's Oak. For the Lord, He's stronger far. And we all belong to Jerusalem above. We all